Well, good evening. Our presentation tonight is called Quality Time. How many of you know somebody that you, inspend, that you enjoy spending quality time with? Yeah. I know that my life, after I, after I met my wife-to-be, uh, my time changed. All of a sudden, I stopped spending as much time as with my two brothers. I stopped spending as much time with my parents. You couldn't find me at home very much. And I was finding myself in the presence of this young lady. I wanted to spend this quality time with her. And I think as we go through this presentation, you'll understand that a little bit better from God's perspective. You know, when we think about our origins, we think about where we come from, there's just something about understanding that, that that seems special. And I think about genealogy. It's become very popular in the last few years. You can go to sites like Ancestry.com and, and discover your ancestors and where you came from. And doing family history research on the internet has just gotten so easy. You can even do uh, DNA tests now. I, I actually did one for fun. And uh, I learned some things about myself that I did not know and that, that was really fascinating. The Bible tells us that our origins matter to God and that the questions of origins will be important as we come closer to the end of time. And as God calls us back to discover our roots, the first verse in the Bible tells us where we come from. Genesis 1.1 says, you all know it, in the beginning, God created when you get down to the book of Revelation, you see that creation and creatorship become big issues. We talked about this verse a couple of nights ago when I was presenting. We went to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 4 and 8. It says, So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Verse 8. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So in Revelation 13, there is a call to worship something called the beast. Then over in Revelation chapter 14, we read these words. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the seas and the springs of water. In what the Bible calls the final gospel message to the world, modern humanity is called to worship God as the creator it's a message for the whole world before Jesus returns to this earth. And it reminds us that we all come from the hand of God. But you know, society has drifted away from the concept of God being the creator. How did we get where we are today? Back in 1831, there was a ship called the HMS Beagle. And it set sail from Great Britain to the Galapagos Islands. 500 miles west of Ecuador. And on board, there was this young scientist. His name was Charles Darwin. 
And on this journey, he studied many animals at the Galapagos Islands. And he was intrigued by the variations that he saw among animals of the same species. And this led Darwin to promote, we'd say, a rather different view of origins than what the Bible teaches. He wasn't the first one to promote this idea of evolution, but he popularized the idea that humans evolved from lower life forms over millions of years. And Darwin's ideas meant that there was no place for an all-powerful creator. And if you follow Darwin's ideas to their logical conclusion, there was no need to be answerable to a god. But in Revelation 14, we have this clarion call to worship God as our creator. This call is not just made to one group of people or to one time in human history, but it's made to all people at all time throughout history, and in particular, God's people living in the last days. Revelation as a book focuses on this idea of worship. It really hones in on it. Worshiping God as the creator is the center of it all. God has asked that we worship him, not something else. And of course, we've seen that very clearly in the commandments that we studied the other night. So how in these last days, in the final history of earth, are we asked to worship God? This world was created in how many days? Six days, right? Six days. And on the first day of creation, God spoke and he said, let there be light. And then we had light come out of the darkness. God spoke. That's all he had to do. He spoke and there was light. And so each day for five days, God created, adding to the beauty of this world, preparing the world for what would take place on the sixth day. And on the sixth day came God's masterpiece of creation, right? God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The word of God makes it very clear that you were designed, that you were purpose-built, that you were carefully made, and you were created by a God of love. In Psalm chapter 33, verses 6 and 9, we read, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. On the sixth day, God made Adam and Eve, but creation wasn't complete yet. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2 says, And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. God rested on the seventh day. Now, was God tired? Do, do you think it's possible to wear God out? It just seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? But he paused to enjoy the world that he had just created. Just like if you had made something with your own hands, and then after you are done, you step back and you take a look and you take some time to pause and think about all the work that went into that and how you enjoyed it. And so he gave to the human family a memorial of his creative power. 
You could call it an eternal sign of his power to create. And in addition to that, his power to recreate. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3, we continue. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. God created on, in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. The seventh day at creation would be an eternal sign, a perpetual reminder, if you will, of our roots, where we came from, that we were made by God in the image of God for an eternal purpose. You know, God blessed the seventh day. He sanctified the day. He set it aside as a reminder of who he is and what he is capable of doing. And he gave it to the human family. And we notice three things that God did on the Sabbath day, or what we call the seventh day. First, God blessed the Sabbath day. And then he sanctified it. After that, he rested. You know, the only reason that we have a seven-day week today is because God created it back in the beginning. So we have a year, and in that year we have 365 and a quarter days because that's how long it takes for the earth to go around what? The sun, right? And we have a month that's about 30 days long because it's related to the motion of what? The moon. And a day lasts 24 hours because that's how long it takes for the earth to go around its axis one time. But why do we have a seven-day week? Because in the beginning, God created in six days and rested on the seventh. So every week, whether you're a believer or an absolute atheist, you recognize the reality of creation by marking off another seven days on your calendar. When somebody finds themselves caught in sin... Does evolution offer a way out? No, it doesn't offer a way out. You know, David prayed a prayer once. He said, create in me a clean heart. He asked God to do that in him. When you're broken and you need to be remade, it's the creator who's able to remake you. He's the only one that can remake you. He's the one that designed you. He knows how to put you back together if you're broken. The seventh-day Sabbath is an awesome sign of God's creative power, a power that he showed when he made the world. And that power he demonstrates whenever he makes someone new again in Christ. So God blessed the seventh day. He sanctified it. He rested on it. There's only one day that God bestowed that kind of special attention. The only day of the week he blessed was the seventh day. And I've read in the Bible that whatever God blesses, he blesses forever. Out Mount Sinai, we heard the other night that God wrote the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on what material? stone, not in the dust where they would have been erased, right? But he wrote them in stone because they were designed to endure forever. The fourth commandment began by saying what? 
remember. You remembered. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8, he said, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Now notice the Bible says that the Sabbath day is the Sabbath of who? The Lord, your God. It doesn't just say that the Sabbath was for some Jewish people. You'll hear people saying that's a Jewish thing. But remember, when God made the Sabbath, he did it long before there were any what? Any Jewish people. The first Jews didn't come along for about 2,000 years after the earth was created. And the Sabbath was not just given to one race of people. It was given for all people, for all time, just like the rest of the Ten Commandments. God said, remember. And why did he say that? In Exodus 20, verse 11, it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. God said, remember, and as you do, you will remember who I am and who you are in me. God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel and said this in Exodus. Oh, this is, just, this is not right. You won't find this in Exodus. This would be in Ezekiel. I'm sorry. 20 verse 12 says, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So just make, make sure you look that up in Ezekiel, not Exodus. The Sabbath reminds us that God made us in the beginning and that he is able, he is willing to remake us in the here and now. Everyone can experience that. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, we read this, speaking of Jesus. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. If there was a reason that people should not observe the Sabbath, Jesus, the Creator, would not have done so. But by example, Jesus demonstrates that the seventh-day Sabbath is important to God. So, what day of the week is the biblical Sabbath day? Well, I have good news. We, we do not have to guess one bit because the Bible makes it all very clear. Let's go to Luke chapter 23, verses 52 to 53. If you have your Bibles, you can read along with me. This is speaking of Joseph, of Joseph of Arimathea. We read, This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. 
And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Verse 56, then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So Jesus died on a certain day, and the Sabbath drew on. Those who buried him started to prepare his body, but in order to observe the commandment, they went back to their homes, and they rested before the process was finished on the Sabbath. Now, if we go to Luke 24 and verse 1, it says this, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Right there, the Bible Sabbath is identified. Jesus died on preparation day, the day commonly referred to as Good Friday. He rose from the dead on the first day of the week, and every year people remember that as Easter Sunday. Died on Friday, rose on Sunday. And between was the Sabbath. The day in between Friday and Sunday is commonly referred to in English as Saturday. If you were to look in a dictionary, it would tell you that Sunday is the first day of the week and that Sabbath is the seventh day of the week, which we call Saturday. If you were to look at the many languages in the world, you would see that all of them have a word that closely resembles the term Sabbath. For example, in Spanish, it's sabado, which sounds a lot more like Sabbath than Saturday. In many languages around the world, the word for Saturday is just simply Sabbath. But maybe, you know, time has been lost through the years Maybe the day that we call the first day is different than the day that it was called in the time of Jesus. Well, I can tell you that those who study stars in space are unanimous, that there is no evidence that we have ever lost track of any time. The only way around this would be if the entire human race decided to go to sleep, let's say it was Tuesday, they overslept 24 hours, they woke up on Thursday and thought it was Wednesday. Where the Bible says Jesus rested in the tomb on Sabbath, Jesus lived and observed the seventh-day Sabbath, and that's exactly the same seventh day that we have today. As Jesus was Jewish, the simplest thing to do would just see, well, what are the Jews doing today? You could check this out by looking at your calendar. And most calendars, some of the modern calendars deviate, but most calendars you'll look and you'll see that the seventh day is Saturday, the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath commandment, or the Sabbath, according to the commandment, is Saturday. And on that first Sabbath, 6,000 years ago, God rested from his work of creation. And on a Sabbath 2,000 years ago, God rested in the tomb following the work of redemption. So what's in it for us, right? Well, God gave us the Sabbath day as more than just some law. It was designed to be a blessing for humanity, something that was good for us. You know, we're designed to need rest. We're not designed to just go, 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 go all the time. 
That wears a person down. We're also designed to have community and union with God and with others. The Sabbath, it makes that all possible. The Sabbath was given by God so we could rest, recharge, and reconnect. It was a blessing that God never said, I'm taking the Sabbath away. Imagine if he gave the Sabbath to the Jews, and then he comes later on down in history and he says, I gave them that day to be a blessing, but I'm taking it away from you. That wouldn't make any sense, would it? So how important do you think this is to God? Well, for one thing, God took the time to include it and write it with his own finger in the Ten Commandments. The Bible doesn't refer to them as the Ten Suggestions, does it? Let me tell you a little story that I think will help illustrate this. Imagine I was single, and you have seven daughters. I come to you one day and I said, I want to marry one of your daughters. And you'd say, which one? And I would say, the seventh. And if you thought I'd make a good son-in-law, you'd tell me, I'll get her to the church on time, no problem. So fast forward to the day, the bride is making her way down the aisle. Her veil's down. She's walking, holding her father's hand. The church is full of people. She gets to the front. Her father lifts the veil, and it's daughter number one. What do you think I'm going to do? Am I going to say, well, all the guests are here, and we have a lovely reception planned? One bride's as good as another. I don't think so. Right? In the same way that God does not say the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, doesn't matter. He said the seventh. If it were all the same to God, he'd say, pick a day, any day. But he didn't do that. He said, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. You see, the Sabbath is a memorial. And memorials cause us to take pause and reflect. They help us remember. Memorials don't get changed. You can celebrate your wedding anniversary on the day before or the day after, right? But it doesn't change the day that you got married. And if you have trouble with that, husbands, your wife will remind you. You can celebrate Independence Day on July 3rd, July 5th, but you'd really be out of step with history, wouldn't you? We certainly cannot change a memorial given by God. We don't have that prerogative. Now, Jesus' example is very clear, but what about his followers? What happened after Jesus died? Let's go to Acts chapter 17 and verse 2. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. 
These were three consecutive weekly Sabbaths. They're not ceremonial Sabbaths, which shows us that long after Jesus died, Paul was doing what? He was keeping the Sabbath. Now, was he doing that just because he was Jewish? Let's go to Acts 16, 13. It says, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. That was outside the synagogue, showing us that Sabbath observance wasn't just for the Jews, but for all believers. We can go to Acts 13, 42. It says, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Not on Sunday, but on the next Sabbath. And verse 44, the same chapter says, On the next Sabbath, almost the, in, the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Almost the whole city. More than 50 times in the New Testament, the Sabbath is mentioned. But there was never a mention made of any change because there wasn't a change. In fact, Jesus spoke specifically to the New Testament church about this. Let's take a look at that. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24, verses 19 and 20. So when talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, he says, But woe unto those who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or the Sabbath. The destruction of Jerusalem occurred about 70 AD. This is 39 years after Jesus' death. And looking into the future, Jesus says, About four decades after I die, the Sabbath will still be important, and it will still be kept. Clearly, Sabbath-keeping didn't end when Jesus died on the cross. You'll find people who will say, well, you can't find anything in the New Testament that speaks about keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. And nothing could be further from the truth based on what we just read. Now, when Jesus did die on the cross, something did come to an end. Ceremonies, types, shadows, no more feast days, no more animal sacrifices— None of that continued, or should have. There was no need. But when Jesus died on the cross, did thou shalt not kill suddenly disappear? No, it didn't. Did honor your father and your mother go out the window? No, it didn't. No. What about remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? No, that remained as well. The ceremonial law was no longer kept, but the moral law remained. Now, when does the Sabbath begin and end? Well, the Bible makes it clear that the Sabbath begins and ends at sunset. So when the sun goes down on Friday evening, the Sabbath begins. And when the sun goes down on Saturday evening, the Sabbath ends. In summer, it's a little later, and in winter, it's a little earlier. But wherever you are in the world, when the sun goes down on Friday night, Sabbath begins. The Bible tells us that we will be keeping the Sabbath in the new earth. Read here, it says in Isaiah 62, For as the new heavens and the new earth which, will, which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain 
continues in verse 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come and worship before me, says the Lord. The Sabbath will be kept in heaven. The Sabbath will be kept in the new earth. God intended the Sabbath to be a blessing to us, to release the valve pressures of this life. He intended the Sabbath to be a safeguard to our families, a day that would help safeguard our relationships, that quality time together, a day that we could focus on the things of heaven and not the things of this earth. Yes, it's true. Christians should honor God every day of the week. We should do that. But there's one day where the whole day is given to the things of heaven. You certainly can't keep every day holy just like that. It's not practical and it's not what God asked. God says six days, labor, do your work, right? He must have said that because it would be good for us. So keeping every day holy isn't really biblical. But God does give us a day, a day for us workaholics. I'm one of those people. My wife will tell you, I work a lot. But I need that time. It helps me regroup with my family, my wife, my kids, my church family, my friends. The Sabbath is a time where God says, pause, rest a while. Take some time out of your busy life and slow down. Don't overdo it. And he says, you know, you and I, we could use some quality time together. It's a time for worship, a time for family. If the government said to you, we're making another day of the year for a national holiday, how many people in this room would complain? Probably not too many, right? But you know, God does one better than that. He says every week, I'm going to give you a day where you can rest a while. You can forget about the cares of this life and worship me. You and I can have a special day each week. God wants us to have more of his presence. God, God wants us to live an abundant life. He doesn't want us to just survive in this world. He wants us to thrive in this world with him. We can't possibly do that without Jesus. Imagine a God that lavishes his love upon us by saying, I want to give you something special every single week. God wants to connect us to him. Take a break from the constant go, go, go. Take a break from the traffic situations outside, right? Take a break from all the appointments that you have to make that fill up your life, right? Take a break from the overtime. God knows you've got business and worries and concerns and financial needs and pressures. He knows all that. But he wants to, you to take time and let the adrenaline stop flowing for a little bit. Let the stress drain out of your life. Now, this is really interesting. You know, the human uh, body operates on a 24-hour uh, rhythm called the circadian rhythm, okay? 
And there's a scientist known as the father of chronobiology. His name is Dr. Franz Hallberg, and he works uh, or did work at the University of Minnesota. And he says that the humans operate on a seven-day cycle. And that's a circus-sespitan rhythm shows that many of our functions operate in seven-day cycles. Your heartbeat, your blood pressure, your body temperature, and a whole lot more are governed by these circus-sespitan rhythms. Hope I'm not butchering that, Eric. He can correct me if I'm wrong later. And it goes to show that God designed us to live by this principle of a weekly rest. Right? It's built into our biology. We're all made that way. And if we try to go against that, it might wear us down a little faster. Now, I'm not saying that the fourth commandment is more important than all the rest. I'm not saying that at all. It isn't. But what I am saying is, it's not any less important than the rest. When Ten Commandments become Nine Commandments, you're settling for 90% of God's blessing. I don't want 90% of God's blessing, do you? I want the whole enchilada. James wrote in James 2, verse 10, you can write this reference down if you're taking notes, if you break one commandment, you're breaking them all. We don't want to break any of them, right? Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. When we love God, we enter a close relationship with him, and something powerful happens in our life. You'll find that as you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Surrender to him, and he'll live in your life. You'll be keeping his commandments because the law will be written on your heart, and you'll love it. You'll grow as a result of it. You'll thrive because of it. That doesn't mean, though, that grandma, who never heard of the seventh-day Sabbath, and she never kept it. What about her? She was a lovely Christian woman, right? And she served God with her whole heart, but she didn't know anything about the Sabbath. What about grandma? The word of God says the times of this ignorance God winks at. Meaning, if you don't know, God's not going to hold you accountable, right? He's a fair and just God. But God shares this with you because he wants the very best for you. And he's determined for the whole world to know this. Everyone will have an opportunity to worship him. And an opportunity to worship him in spirit and in truth and enjoy the blessing that God offers. When God offers you something that will enhance and bless your life, you should want to grab on to hold of it with both hands and never let go. If what we discuss tonight is new to you, do something for yourself. Go to the Bible. Read it. Read what it says. And ask God, God, show me your will. And ask God to allow yourself to surrender to his grace. If Jesus was willing to die for you, would you be willing to live for him? You know, the Bible in Revelation identifies that God's saints at the end of time as keeping the commandments of God 
and having the faith of Jesus. Sometimes we stumble across things and we don't realize the value of what we have. One day in 18, or 1975, a man was coming home from work at a Fiat plant in Turin, Italy. On his way home, he stopped at a police station where there was an auction taking place. And they had lost or stolen property that had been recovered but never really claimed. It was being sold off. And from time to time, this man would stop by these auctions and see if there was something that he wanted to buy. And on this particular night, he saw two little paintings for sale. You can see them there. He liked them, and he thought the paintings would look good on the wall above his table in the kitchen of his home. Someone else wanted those paintings, so he had to pay a little more than he was hoping to, but he was glad to do it. He took them home, and he hung them where he had planned to. And every day, he'd come home, and he'd see his pictures and it put a smile on his face. He liked them. Years later, his son went off to college and took an art and appreciation class. And he was leaping through one of his art appreciation books one day, and he saw a picture of something that looked remarkably similar to one of those paintings. And upon closer investigation, he discovered that one of those pictures was painted by a French painter named Pierre Bonnard, a master. The other one was by Paul Gauguin, and when the paintings were valued, they were found to be worth $65 million. And because the paintings had been stolen and the original owners had paid, been paid the insurance money and there were no heirs of the original owners still living, there was no one to return the paintings to. Now our retired auto worker was the proud owner of $65 million worth of paintings. Paintings that had just been hanging on his wall for the past 40 years. He never realized how valuable they were. Imagine if his house would have burned down. When he found out, you can be sure that he treated them with the respect that they deserved. Maybe that's like some of us and the Seventh-day Sabbath. We didn't know what we had. We didn't know how valuable it was. Maybe we had no way of knowing, but God in his mercy speaks to us and he says, I have plans for you. I have plans in earth's last days, plans for you. And I want you to enjoy the blessings that you may have never known that existed. I want you to thrive and ride on the high places of the earth. Tonight, I'd like you to consider the blessings that God has in store for you through the word of God. And know that God has his best intentions, intentions for you at heart. He wants better things for you than you want for yourself. God wants a closer walk with you than you've ever had before. I'd like to take a moment now and pray with us as we consider that blessing. That we could partake of it and enjoy it. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, tonight we have learned about the blessed Sabbath day, a day that you, you blessed, you sanctified, and you rested on, and that you gave it to us as a gift designed to be a blessing to us, not just for our health, Lord, but more importantly than that, to give us time with you, to build on our relationship together, as we 
thrive on this earth waiting for your soon coming, a blessing that we can enjoy now and for the rest of eternity. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.